You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi folks, and welcome to episode 97 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts, and this is the show for October 2021. I am delighted this month to have a special guest joining me from literally the other side of the world. Um, so I'm sitting here in broad daylight in, the, in a beautiful Sunday morning, and uh, my guest, Doug, is sitting all the way in Australia at, uh, what, half past ten at night? Quarter to eleven? Quarter to ten. Four to ten. Okay, well, still, I guess it is dark. Yes, it is here. We're not not as uh, far south as you are north. Aha, yes. Well, actually, you'd probably have wet feet if you were as far south as I am north. <laughs> <laughs> so, Doug, um, your first time guest on the show, so thank you for, for being here. Um, so your website is nightscapades.com, which gives a subtle hint as to why I might like to have you on the show, because you are a sure. photographer of the night, specifically the astronomical night. And astronomy has been one of my fascinations for most of my life. And some of my absolute earliest photographic experiments were pointing um, an old Olympus OM-1 up at the sky mm. with a 28 millimeter lens, and uh, I was able to find some spectacularly grainy th- th- 3200 ISO film. Well. Yeah, and so I didn't have tracking or anything, and I was just able to take that old OM1 with that really grainy film and point it up at the sky for two and a half minutes. And mm. I had actually, was it two? No, it was sorry, it was, it was about, about a minute or so. And I didn't have too bad of a star trail, and the Milky Way was there. And that oh, was wow. just, you know, that, that magic when I went into the one hour photo and got the print back and it wasn't empty. It, mm. <laughs> it was, you know, very enjoyable. So I have dabbled in nighttime photography and I've had some results that I am not ashamed of. Um, but I have dabbled. You, on the other hand, have taken nighttime photography to a fine art. Uh, I mean, I these photographs are worthy of hanging in a museum next to any other fine art print by any other artist. The, you know, the, oh, this is you. the yeah. art of the night sky. And so I really wanted to have a conversation with you. I mean, the show, the, the point of the show is the art and craft of photography. Mm. So I, you know, the craft of this particularly fascinates me because I know how difficult it is to get an image of the night sky that is eye-catching, that you're not straining at to find the thing, you know, where where the Mm. night sky jumps out at you. And in addition to that, you also need to get it into a composition that's pleasing. And you you clearly put a lot of work into your compositions, because although you call it nightscapades, you don't call it night sky or anything, right? It is the night, and the night involves planet Earth as well as the sky, and your sure. images have both, which, in my opinion, is why they work, because the sky without context is very difficult to understand. It's some dots. But the yeah. sky with context tells a story. So I guess the first sort of question I have, like, I presume you've been at this a while? 
Yeah, well, um, I think I'm a fair bit older than you or, you know, a bit older. I fell in love with astronomy when I was in high school and I think it was 1977. We had a, a very loosely organised astronomy club at the school. Oh, cool. And uh, a friend of mine who lived, like we live in an intersection, he was diagonally opposite. He joined at the same time. And so we used to spend our... Uh, nights when we were meant to be doing homework or whatever, out learning about the night sky. And he left school before I did and got a job so he could afford to get a a film SLR camera um, and started taking some photos then. And I had my mother's camera, which I've used almost infinitely more than she has. And I still have it. She gave it back to me. It was a, a Japanese brand I'd never heard of. It wasn't a single lens reflex camera. It didn't have a shutter button. It had a shutter lever. A lever? A lever to pull down, but it did have a B setting on it, a bulb setting. Mm. So my very first uh, nightscape or night sky photograph I took around about 1979 down in a spot that's about 400 or 300 kilometres from where I live in Sydney in Australia. And... um, I had my father's tripod that had been his pride and joy for however many years. I put my mum's camera on it. I put a lens cap over the lens. The fastest film I could buy then was 400 ISO. Which is quite fast as film stock yeah. goes, but, you know, yeah, it is when quite Kodak slow. Was selling their, yeah, the stuff Kodak was selling over the counter for colour was just 80. And uh, this was uh, Kodak Tri-X black and white film. And I mounted it on, put the camera on the tripod, put a lens cap over it, and then I pulled down the lever with the setting on B, and I tied a piece of string around the lever and around the top of the tripod (laughs) so that the shutter would stay open, and ever so gently pulled the lens cap away. And I think I shot for about an hour. And back then, all I did was try and point things at the sky, but I still have that photograph, and I actually got a tree in the bottom of it. So it was a, you know, a nightscape photograph, and a a light plane had flown over while it happened. So I have an aircraft trail through these star trails circling the South Celestial Pole. So that's how long I've been at it. That's quite a nice start, actually, because my first experiments did not go very well. Taken back from the one-hour photo with a sticker on them saying underexposed. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Well, I I, uh, actually worked in a pharmacy, and back then, you know, pharmacies were where you took your photographs to get developed. This was before the one-hour photo, and the girls in the pharmacy told me, you've got to ask for print regardless, which (sighs) is... I don't care what you or your machine sees, you print this photograph, and that worked fine but because it was mainly black and white i was at high school and uh, you know didn't have a lot of money i used to develop them myself um i never did get into the, to that aspect of it because i, I yeah. started with color film and yeah. that's a bit more tricky so, uh, what, to develop yourself yeah well I, it was black and white and i wasn't very popular with my two sisters because i would take over the only bathroom in the oh. house on a Friday night to develop film. And are they trying to get Long, makeup and stuff to go out and you're in there yeah. making smelly chemicals? Yeah, that's right. But then it probably, you know, I sort of lo- I lost interest for a while after high school. And then, um, I don't know, it was probably back in about 2012 or 2013 when uh, you started posting some photos on your blog 
uh, just around the university and some local landmarks and they had stars in them. And I went, oh, yeah, I used to do that. Yeah. And um, I've got a digital camera. Maybe I should give it a go. And then um, a New Zealand guy, uh, Kiwi, uh, named Mark G., who was born in Australia, so we'll claim him as ours. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like that approach. Somebody, somebody sent me a link to a video that he put on um, the social media. I think it was YouTube at first, where he had the full moon rising over a mountain in Wellington in New Zealand where he lives, and he'd shot it from about three kilometres away with a 600-millimetre lens with a two-times converter. Ooh. And because of the forced perspective – You've got silhouettes of tourists on the lookout on top of the mountain with the moon just overwhelming them. I believe and I'm I, familiar with that shot mm, because it is quite iconic because you have the, the yeah. trellis fence that they're standing next to and, and these silhouettes right. of people. Yeah, and he, he to this day he still gets people emailing him going, that was me in that shot. It's taken me all these years to find you so that I can tell you that I was in that, that video. And, cool. of course, he suffered from people telling him that it was all faked and uh, he got some university uh, photography experts to verify and, you know, make a statement to say that it wasn't fake. But, I mean, I digress, but that that um, that inspired me to get back into it. And uh, since, yeah, since about 2013, I've really started to, it's become my obsession again. And uh, I used to cycle a lot. And unfortunately, the cycling went by the by. And uh, because I was spending too many hours out at night, (laughs) getting tired from shooting. Um, Yeah, so it it took off from there. And one of my daughters, I got my kids really uh, so encouraging. I think it was about 2015. One of my daughters said, Oh, Dad, you're posting your night photos on your normal Instagram feed. Why don't you start a separate Instagram feed? And six months later, I had 2,000 followers. And I was like, oh, wow, this is fun. And This works, the, yeah. Yeah, and the, one of the best things for me about that wasn't the numbers. It was that I was interacting with people. And you get someone who'd comment on a photo and say, hey, you inspired me to go out and try this myself a few nights ago. I thought, ah, that's that's when it's all worth it. When when you get so yeah. much joy out of it and somebody else does because of you, that's a bonus in life. Absolutely. I, I, I'm a huge – because – you get as much, you get more than you give. Actually, that's the secret of taking mm. part in the community. It's like, oh yeah, but it's a lot of work to share. It's like, yeah, but you get a lot more back. Yeah, that's right. And you know, I was a keen fisherman growing up, and my dad would always go, "Don't tell people where we caught those fish." You know, that's our special spot. And I still know uh, photographers who are like that. They will not put a location on their photo because they don't want someone to go there. And I'm like. You don't own the sky. You don't own yeah. the planet. You know, it's weird. I and I'm the in opposite a few... attitude so... because one yeah. of the things I find fascinating is to see what another photographer's eye makes of the places I know. Because exactly. they won't come back with my photograph. They'll come back with their yeah. photograph and it will be very different. Yeah. And and in in general in photography, when someone says, "Well, I don't have gear like you," or you know, if someone says, "Oh, we were out the other day and we got a great sunrise and took a photo with our phones," I, I want to see it, and they go, "Oh, it won't be anything to you." And I go, "No, you were there, and I was still in bed, yeah. and you saw it, and you captured it, and I like how you saw that." And I think that's a beautiful thing about photography. Yes, and and the gear falls away, right? It's um. Yeah, I, I wish I could remember who, but someone on a podcast once said something that stuck with me. It's like no one asked Shakespeare his brand of quill. Yes, 
Yes. It's just irrelevant. Right. You know, how the image was made isn't relevant. And if you have to tell people how it was made to make it interesting, it's not a good photograph. The photograph is yeah. the end product. It speaks for itself. Yeah, there's a German photographer. I can't remember his name now. I listened to his podcast and he said, you know, when you uh, – what's it called? Tips from the top floor, he calls the mm. podcast. Yeah. And he said, look, you know, when you have people over for dinner and they talk about how good the meal was, they don't go, oh, show me what brand of pots and pans <laughs> you have. Uh, you know, he said, why is photography like that? And he said the downside of it too is that people think, oh, if I just have that gear, I'll be able to take photos like that. And, you know, that that sets you up for a lot of disappointment, believe yes. me. <laughs> Although it does make the camera manufacturers a lot of money. It sure does. I think actually smartphones are changing that, though, because oh yeah, a lot of at this stage, easily ninety five percent of my photography, if not more, is with my iPhone, and yeah. I haven't gotten any less comments from people. And what's mm. changed is that when they say, "Oh wow, that's a great shot," you know, what camera did you use? And I say, "My phone." They don't go, "Oh, I must buy a phone like yours." They go, "Oh." That's yes. interesting. I'm, how do you use your phone? And then you have a much more productive conversation because they already have a phone. Yeah. Well, I, I run my own IT support business and one of my – sorry, there's an ambulance going past. One of my customers, oh, I don't know, 10 or so years back, she was a professional photographer and she turned up at a shoot for Vogue Australia and she had her Canon 1D or whatever it was at the time, top-of-the-line camera, but she'd left the batteries at home. And the – the models and the lighting guys and the makeup people were all booked for a very small time. So she ran across the road to a 7-Eleven and bought a disposable camera. She did yeah. the whole shoot with that disposable camera and it was published in Vogue. Yeah, because at the end of the day, the camera, while it's it's easier to use a better camera, yeah, it's not necessary. No, that's right. And that's so, why I try to encourage people that are starting out in nightscape photography is let's look at the gear you've got first and see what we can do with that before you start running off and spending money you don't need to spend. That's a fantastic way to look at it, all right, because just a modern smartphone and uh, I think Joby do this tiny little tripod that mm. has a clip for the phone and it, the whole thing folds up to be smaller than your phone. So you can stick it in your pocket, yeah. right? And you yeah. just go out for a walk in the evening and you, you know, the night sky does its thing and you just whip out this little tripod, you put your phone down and you click the shutter for 30 seconds on night mode on the iPhone and you yeah. actually get a nice photograph. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, I could do better with a, you know, an F1.4 lens on a shiny big DSLR, but you yeah. still come away with something nice with a $20 tripod versus a $2,000 camera. Yeah, that's right. So, and you mentioned about the kind of photography. I mean, are you aware of the term nightscape photography before, like why it's in my name? Um, well, I I know it's a term I've always used because I don't I don't think I've ever taken astronomical photographs because to me mm. that's a photograph of a galaxy or a yeah. photograph of a planet or something. And my interest was always in the. Uh, the sky and the ground. And so I don't know where yeah. I got the word from, but it was a word I heard somewhere that I've been using for a long time because I I think it's a, it's a landscape at night. It's not... That's it, yeah. Yeah, it's not a picture yeah. of an astronomical object. 
That's right. And it, it's a, you know, it's a known category now amongst photography competitions. And, you know, there's a, a Nightscape Photographer Awards uh, comp run out of Paris every year. And, you know, it's got Nightscape in the in the name. And they actually took my Nightscapade's name. They asked me for permission to use it. But they have a festival in, in France every, I think it's July or August, and it's the Nightscapade's festival where they run this competition. I'm sure they put a, uh, you know, they an like accent, Nightscapade's or something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, I mean, a bit of a humble brag. I, I entered a photo in that competition in 2015, and I, I came fifth out of – 400 entries from 50 countries. That's pretty dangerous. And I was over the moon with that. And they invited the top 10 to Paris at our expense to see an exhibition. So I am still husband of the month six years later. Because That's pretty sweet. Yeah, all, all of this nighttime stuff. Yeah, oh, I got a free trip to Paris. Forgiven. <laughs> Yeah, well, we had to pay our own way, but we still did it. And, you know, I'd been to the U.S. seven or eight times with work, but never to anywhere in Europe. So uh, it was just the best holiday we had as a couple, too. That's pretty sweet. So, yeah. right. So I'm looking at your Nightscapades website and I'm looking at your photographs. Mm. And it's obvious that you haven't just gotten up on a whim one evening, wandered inside and gone click. Right. Yeah. <laughs> These compositions and stuff obviously have a lot more that has gone into them. So are these places you know well that you've sort of been scoping out for months? Or how, how do you go about making a composition like, say, Core in the Creek or something like that, where you have the, the river yeah. perfectly aligned with the Milky Way? Like, yeah. That doesn't happen by accident. No. Well, that one, um, a friend of mine, that, that where I shot that particular photo was near Canberra or Canberra, Australia's capital. It was a rural town about an hour from there. And my extended families had a little holiday weekend on the south coast of my state, New South Wales, since the 70s. And that town is about midway between the two. And this guy who lives in Canberra told me, right, if you ever go to that town, you go down this road, blah, 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 and you'll find three bridges across a creek that snakes backwards and forwards under the, the bridges. And so I had one of the many photo apps that I used to work out where the alignment was going to be, went there in the afternoon. Uh, the, that was really early in the year. So the Milky Way's core, you know, the galactic core that you see in the photo, it wasn't due to rise until about one in the morning. So I went back to the hotel. I slept, put multiple alarms on uh, and drove down there. But the app I use, this particular one's called Photo Pills. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It is one of the ones I'm familiar it. with. Yeah, it's one of the, the big names yeah. really between it and the, the photographer's yeah. ephemeris, I guess, is the other one. That's right. Yeah. So, and it's one of the many that has an AR function. So you hit AR and you hold the camera, the phone up to the horizon and you can see where the Milky Way is going to come up. So I knew that the Milky Way was going to line up with that creek. And I drove until I, you know, I found the creek, the guy told me, but I had to find which little which spur of it had that reflection. And then so when I got back there, it was just, you you know, that, that night there was no moon. You've got to make sure there's not much moon. Yeah. Not, you know, the phase of the moon's small. And the weather forecast said there wasn't going to be any cloud till about 3 a.m. So uh, I hit pay dirt that night. Yeah, because the, the weatherman was clearly correct uh, with the cloud prediction. Yeah. That's quite an impressively yeah, clear right. horizon. Like To see the Milky Way yeah. pretty much touch the horizon, that's not something we get oh, here in Ireland. No, and it's beautiful just... 
to have it come up like that. And um, I always used to sh- – when I started out, I followed the the uh, advice of the different guys online and I'd shoot with like a 14mm or 24mm wide-angle lens. But I think that one I used a 35mm lens to bring the Milky to, – again, to use the force perspective to make the Milky Way look – much bigger in proportion to the to the foreground or to the you know the landscape or the terrestrial part of it of course yeah so to give me like so that shot there is, is a great one to look at because there's a lot going on there it's sort of why I, I sort of mentally picked it so yeah how how long of a time in total is there of data in that image yeah sure i've got to pull it up now um because when I post, I always when I post on the socials, uh, you know, Instagram's my main one, but I'm in Facebook and Twitter and Flickr and 500 Pics, and that's another thing to thank you for because you you mentioned Flickr years and years ago, and I've been on it ever since you mentioned it on Alison's show at one stage. Um, so I always post the data with the photo because that's how I learn a lot of what I know. And, then and you can I want, go back like in I said time before, I want everyone else. That. I want everyone else to know how to do that. So that's a panorama, and well, it's ten. Okay, it's six. How many did I say? Yeah, it's a six-frame panorama, vertical panorama. I don't even know if there's a thing as a vertical panorama, but that's what we call them. Someone tried vertorama once, but mm. I just thought, you know, uh, really like go back to marketing drama. school. Yeah, um, at ten-second exposure for each one. Interesting. That- now, with a 35mm lens, you don't want to expose much longer than that because the stars will start to trail. Okay, because that was my other question. Is, is, is it a case that the foreground had to come from separate images and then the, if you were somehow tracking the background? But that's Okay, so only 10 seconds. Wow. Yeah. So in that one, even though it's, okay, it's not a single photo, it's a pano. Yeah. Um, each one of the frames in that panel is a single image with the foreground lit and the background as well. Yeah, so that was my next question because obviously including foregrounds at night means yeah. that either you're relying on moonlight or you're, you're, you're relying on something to add some yeah. amount of light, unless you use a pure silhouette, which can work in some situations. But yeah, so in a case like that, there's quite a lot of foreground light there reaching, it looks to be, you know, 100 yards in front of you at least. So yeah, how, how do you that, do that? that big, the big tree in the centre there is probably about 100 metres away. Um, I had two LED banks and I spaced them. So this was shot from a bridge. So I bolted them to the railing of the bridge and they were probably, um, let me see, probably 10 metres either side of me. Okay that, okay, that explains the, the, the very broad field of light. Okay. Yeah, that's right. And and both angled differently so that you got the coverage. Yeah. And, you know, it's like anything with photography. You know, you see that image, but you don't see the gazillions of test shots that went into getting well, that lighting. I was going to say, right. so I, I, I presume you had to experiment to get the balance where obviously yeah. 10 seconds was the answer. But if the lights are too bright, then the 10 seconds will overdo the foreground without the, you know, so it doesn't balance the background. So I guess it's a bit of experimenting there. Yeah, the exposure time is is pretty much set based on how little you want the stars to trail. Right, Uh, because you're fighting planet Earth. It's determined to rotate and you'd rather it didn't. But then, and so then it's the battle to get the lighting right, knowing that every 
second you're standing there, the Milky Way's rising higher in the sky. Yeah, uh, you know it's a big <laughs> it's a big stress. Um, and I, for memory, in that one, the foreground probably was a bit too bright, but I just used light the brushes in Lightroom, and, and pull that back down with the exposure and highlights reduced. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, too bright and there's too bright, right? If it gets blown out, you can't do anything in post. So as long as you get it yeah, where it's manageable. Um, I'm assuming you're shooting raw to give you the most chance yes. of recovering. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. And then the, the other obvious question is, so this is obviously digital these days. I don't imagine you're still loading film. No, I've had a roll of film sitting in my fridge at home for 12 months now because I'm going, I've still got that camera of my mum's and I want to go out and do it side by side of digital Ooh, versus film. I love to but see that. But when I, when I get to a spot, I'm often just so intent on getting the photos that it's sat in my bag for a while. But, I mean, you mentioned before about how I obviously haven't just gone outside and shot this. There's some people I know in Australia and particularly the Kiwis where they can almost do that. You know, they live in so such, clear. Yeah, and it's so little light pollution. Right. You know, the, the guy I mentioned before that shot that full moon silhouettes video, Mark G, he lives in Wellington. He works for Weta Digital. Right. Okay. He's, right. A, he's a team lead. You can watch his name is at the end of every Lord of the Rings and Hobbit movie. And cool. all kinds of things, yeah. But he's the most humble, generous guy. He can drive a half an hour from where he lives in Wellington, and he's in a, um, a dark skies area. That is and a he shot a photo there. Even here in yeah. Ireland, we don't have any more. Yeah. He, he shot a photo that won him the Greenwich Observatory Astrophotographer of the Year back in about 2009, uh, you know. 28-minute drive from the centre of the biggest city, of the capital city of New Zealand. So, That's Now, me, I've got a reputation. Yeah, I have a reputation for doing a lot of driving. Uh, my record is 800 kilometres in one night. Bloody hell. Uh, because I'm self-employed and you just always got to work the next day, although sometimes you can make it later. Typically, I to get to a dark skies location that's – close enough to do in with some decent sleep but is dark enough i drive 110 kilometers each way wow. um from from my home but uh it's not unusual for me to do 500 there's a, a photo on there somewhere in my feed of uh i think it's the star trails over the church i can't even remember if i um posted that one it's from a few months back yeah there is there's a star trails over a little church and that was uh, – it's about – I don't know. It's about a dozen or more photos back. That was a 550-kilometre round trip <sighs> in a night. Yeah. Now, um, I, I know all the laybys or, you know, the rest areas on the road, so I will stop. And being an older man, I have to take my CPAP machine with me so I actually get some decent sleep <laughs> there. Wow. Yeah, obviously battery powered but, um, because I, I had a CPAP for a couple of years and my mine needed a, a, a mains power and it was huge. Ah, uh, okay. I've got a voltage inverter in my car, so ah. um, uh, yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so I don't mind the drive. I've always loved driving, um, uh, but then it's frustrating. You think I just want to get there, and there's been plenty of times when I've looked at the weather apps. I've looked at the satellite photos. I've looked at the weather, the the maps on TV and online. 
And I've driven one night. I drove a hundred kilometers, and I got out of the car, and it was cloudy. Oh, you know. So I, I leased a car through my business to, to um, because I can. And this time around, I got a car with a sunroof, so that I can wind the roof open while I'm driving and look up and go. Oh, I'm turning around now. Yeah, go home, back to bed. Because <laughs> a lot of the time I'm driving on freeway to get there and you don't want to have to pull over in yeah. the stopping zone to get out and say, oh, is it clear or not? So, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, one of the ones that obviously catches my eye is last train to Bo- to, to Bomaderry. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm guessing you knew that the, the Milky Way and the railway tracks would, would make that shot possible to you. Um, I, I'm curious... Judging by the light trails, we're talking a little bit more than 10 seconds there, unless that's a really fast train. It is a very fast train at that point. Now, it's not a very fast train as in capital letters. We just don't have those in Australia. But it's a rural line. It's a, like That's probably 10 kilometres from the end of the line. It's a train late at night, and it's dead straight there for about four kilometres. So they do get quite a bit of speed going. Yeah. But um, no, that one's... Um, the other one, no, they're both. That's two, that's two exposures blended. Aha! And um, which you know, I did shoot them. Both shots had the, or one shot just had the Milky Way, but the other one had the train. And I, I don't, you know, I mentioned that they're blended. I don't like people that do that and then don't talk about it. But both exposures were ten seconds. Okay, interesting. So okay, so now, you're if, getting. So you're on my website, right? Are you? Yeah. Yeah. If you hover over the photo at the bottom, you'll get all the metadata and the description down there. It should pop up. Oh, so it does. Look at that. I was on my phone earlier and I, and I, and I, did, I didn't have a hover mechanism, obviously, so I didn't realize yeah. that was all there. Aha, excellent. Ah, okay. So Canon EOS 6D Mark II, 24 millimeters F14. That's kind of impressive how much... A modern camera with its good... I mean, that's the oh. thing all the modern cameras are getting better at and better at is low light, right? So the fact and that light, you're... Yeah, and low noise and low light. You're collecting that much nice information in 10 seconds. That That's changed oh, wow. so much in the last decade. Oh, yeah. That's why when you said you had 32 ISO film, I'm like, wow, I never could buy anything that fast back in the day. And we would shoot 400 and then get it push processed to 800. And that's about the best we did. And so then after, you know, lower ISO is better for colors in the daytime and everything. And you come along and start reading Nightscape tutorials. And these guys are saying, I'm shooting, shooting at 32 or 6400. And, and I had a Canon 7D for a number of years. And its low light performance isn't very good. But the 6D is amazing. That's one of that, and I can't remember the equivalent Nikon, but they have been for nearly a decade the two most popular cameras for shooting nightscape photos because their low light performance is insane. Yeah, that that kind of that, that's sort of caught me by surprise a bit because because I've been using my my iPhone so much for the last couple of years, I haven't really been following what DSLRs have been up to. And there's no way I could ever have gotten that much information in 10 seconds with my old uh, D5100. It's just yeah. not going to happen, you know? It would have been noise. Well, you could, if you push the ISO, you would have, but you would have got a lot of noise. Yeah, that's um, what I mean. Like, you're getting very, like, it's not just, it's not just information. It's clean. It's crisp. It, it's, yeah. it's good information. It's, it's not yeah. polluted. 
Yeah, and you know the denoise slider in um, in Lightroom is very good, and I usually bump that to about ten to fifteen, and I can see myself losing detail. There's a guy who I've learned a lot for from a guy in the US named Royce Bear, and um, he's been doing it professionally. He's been making money out of night sky photography since the film days, and he pushes his noise slider to forty. And I'm like, nah, man, there must be no detail left. But, you know, it's pretty good. And he's he's a dab hand at that. I guess yeah. the more megapixels you have to start with, if some of those pixels start to lose detail because you're pushing the denoise, so what? You've still got loads of pixels left. Yeah, that's right. But then the more pixels on the sensor, the smaller the pixels. So, you know, there's that constant trade-off. Um, you are always fighting yeah. with nighttime photography, right? You're always... There just isn't a lot of light there, so you're always fighting a little That's bit right. to, to maximise what you can achieve with whatever you have, yeah. be that a phone or a big DSLR. Yeah. The aim so is to get what photo, you can. There's a, yeah, sorry for interrupting there. No, no, there's a photo that's a few back, oh, it's one, two, three, four, about six or seven back from that one, and when you tap, it's um, it's called Friendly Invitation. And the irritation, why am I not seeing that one? It's pretty sure it's on this. Oh, maybe. Hang on. Three, six. Oh, if you can see the other one on the site, that should be there. That's interesting because um, I, I don't see. Uh, hang on. Control F. Friend. Uh, oh, there it is. Yeah. Oh, yes. The one where we actually get to see the, the photographers in action. Well. Yeah. That's shot weird. with no foreground lighting. And there's no moon, I'm guessing, because... Nope. moon had already set that night. So that is a, a so, nighttime photography by starlight. Yeah, exactly. Now, are you, what, do, you know what, do you know what atmospheric air glow is? Atmos- um, atmospheric air glow is where you have chemical reactions high up, causing that sort of a greenish glow. Yeah, that's right. So... When you said that that's, uh, you know, photography by starlight, landscape by starlight, more than the stars, it's actually the light of the air glow. Now, that one's got greeny, a greenish-blue air glow in it, yeah. and it's that light that's actually lighting the, the, the earth there, the foreground. Oh, very cool. Um, and the other thing this, yeah. this photograph just reminds me of is that you Southern Hemisphere guys are darn lucky to have two nearby dwarf galaxies, the large and small Magellanic yes. clouds. And it's very obvious why they're called the yeah. large and small Magellanic clouds in this photograph. The little yeah. ones on top and the big ones down below. Yeah. If you get a chance to read the blurb on that one, there's actually five galaxies in that photo. See, so the Milky Way, obviously. Uh, and then you have... Yeah, the large and small Magellanic Clouds. If I knew my and constellations... Are... Well, oh, hang on, I see. Is that Orion hovering just above that bit of... Is that? I don't know if that's a town or something in the distance. So uh, Orion. Is no, it the Andromeda? Orion, 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 yeah, Andromeda's there. That's right. If Andromeda's and there, to... Triangulum is likely nearby. That's right. Triangulum's just up and to the right of that. Okay, so um, that, okay, I got to five. Hey, go me. No, yeah. I didn't read the blurb. <laughs> Now, you can see where where Andromeda is there, how low it is to the horizon. Yes. Yeah, and you're still seeing latitude, it. Yeah, at that latitude, it peaks at 14 degrees above the horizon. Okay, so for me, that's a high-in-the-sky thing, but obviously it can't be a high-in-the-sky thing yeah, for both of us. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so I was really 
Yeah, someone challenged a guy I've followed. He said, "Oh, I've done this shot with five galaxies," and I thought, "One day I'm going to be able to do that," and I did. Yeah. So that's so. a panorama. So I'm assuming that's multiple shots stitched together, um, yep, as, as opposed right. to I know the iPhone's good, but they can't possibly be take your iPhone and scan the horizon once. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so what did I do? That's 38 frames, but it's three rows. Um, okay, so a three by so whatever that one is. of twelve, one of twelve and two of fourteen. I always do the bottom row. Sorry, the the rows further up, I do wider because there's some warping that the panoramic software does. And if oh, you don't have good. extra width there, you lose part of what's on the bottom row. So probably getting too technical for a podcast, but yeah. Well, no, no, but that's kind of interesting, right? Because again. The whole point of these images is, is that we can't tell by looking at them, which, which, like we said, is the point, right? The photograph yeah. speaks for itself. But it is, I think, it's part of the art and the craft to understand that one image doesn't necessarily mean one photograph. Yes, or maybe true. I should put it the other end. One finished product doesn't mean one exposure. It may mean... Yeah. A panorama. Do you do much stacking, or, or is that something? Well, obviously, that would involve having to track and so forth. So, uh, do you do that, you know, like a tracking mount and any of that kind of yeah. shenanigans? I've I've had a really good tracker for nearly two years and barely used it because we don't have a pole star down here. Yes, you are. That is that is a definite downside. You may have Magellanic clouds, but you do not have a yeah. pole star. That said, there are plenty of people that use trackers down here and are very good at it. Um, but most of those are guys that don't drive as far as I have to drive and then squeeze as many shots in. You know, a lot of time I'll spend more time traveling than actually on the ground shooting. Um, I do have, I don't know if it's like, that's a Squarespace site and it only ever keeps the last 30 images before it bumps them off. So I don't know if it's still there, but I do have a version of that that I of that original uh, core in the creek that I stacked from um, a whole bunch of images that I, I can't remember how many. Now it says it right here. Uh, da, da, da. I can't. Yeah, but I did stack there and I stacked because it caught the reflection in the creek. Um, I ran the stacking software with the focus on the sky and then the focus on the creek and then blended them in Photoshop so that you get um, all of that together. Cool. Um, I, I, just as, as a railway buff, I do like the one called Patiently Cautious because it is a oh, yeah. precarious spot for your tripod to be, although it does look like a very long yeah. straight track, so they shouldn't sneak up on you. That's right, and that's the same line that the other one was shot, the one at Bombardieri. And the last train for the night had already gone through at about 10 p.m. Um, so short of some lines. It's a long way from the city. Yeah. yeah, but they do. there is a freight that comes through there later at night, but you can hear it coming from a long way off. And, and that photo I still like because it doesn't have the Milky Way's galactic core in it, and there aren't a lot of stars, but it still gets the sky and the ground and the leading lines of the railway tracks, and I, I quite like that one. I do too, actually. It, it caught my it literally caught my eye as I was scrolling up and down. Um, I'm guessing you're not far enough south to get many um, aurorae and things. So, so sky glow is, is sort of the, the the best you get in terms of greens and things. Yeah, yeah. Well, the night I did the um, 
was it the night? I think it might have been the night I did the 800 kilometres. I'd driven three and a half hours south of Sydney to do some photography. And this friend in Canberra, I mentioned earlier, he texted me. He says, I'm getting the Aurora here in Canberra. It was very low to the horizon. And I said, I'm an hour from you. And he said, oh, you've got to come. So, <laughs> so I kept driving. We had never met. And we met. So I turned up at midnight we didn't want to turn lights on. So it was another three months before we knew what each other looked like because we'd met at midnight and, and photographed it there. Um, and then uh, there's been times when it's been visible further north than Sydney, about an hour's drive north. But on those nights I was working or it was cloudy here and not there. So, yeah. But in Tasmania, down, you know, yeah. the southernmost state, they get it there all the time. I have another question for you. I'm just curious. So uh, there's a shot there, uh, Ghostly Gum and a Couple of Galaxies, which is a cool name. So that so there's obviously actual cloud low to the horizon, but the the sort of the ripply, wavy stuff, that's the airglow having yeah. those shapes, is it? Yeah, which, well, it, it's not like the aurora and it doesn't move. That's actually, now... This um this tricked Alison Sheridan as well, as it did me when I like they are what's called gravity waves. Okay, now that makes them sound cool. Yeah, now these aren't the things that the LIGO experiment You're not gravitational. Right, that's right. They're gravitational waves. These are gravity waves. Now you can get gravity waves in a river or a body of water when it's flowing and you know so this is um yeah there was a very fine fine cloud that i couldn't even see but it showed up in the photograph and those gravity waves are caused by ripples on the ocean because that's right near the ocean uh, affecting the airflow above them and going right up to the level that clouds at but it does add more interest to the shot that um airglow doesn't shimmer and move around like um like, like the, the aurora. aurora does unfortunately yeah and you can see in that one that the airglow that night isn't green. It's like purplish up the top and then it washes out a bit further down. Uh, you know, air glow, the the, the colour of the airglow depends on the time of year and just what the atmosphere has been doing that day and all kinds of things. Right, because it is somewhat similar to the aurora in the, in the, in the sense that it's, it, it's atoms fluorescing Right, they're yeah. in an excited state, falling down and emitting a photon of light. Now, with the case of the aurora, yeah. the sun is giving them a good solid poke, and they're emitting yes. a lot of light. Whereas with the airglow, it's yeah. very subtle. Like you see the airglow in your photographs, but would would you know it was there with the naked eye, or is it only in the photographs? I can't see the color, but I've learned I've um, now at a point where I can see that it's there because I, I drove one night to a site which I knew was uh, like almost dark sky park dark and i looked up and i thought oh have they just suddenly put up a city near here or something because it looked like it looked like scattered light but it was airglow so it made the sky not look black it looked gray interesting there was so much airglow yeah i know guys who claim they can see the colors with the naked eye and I want to know if they saw unicorns as well at the same time. Well, it's amazing you know? what the human eye, we, we can tell ourselves we see things we don't see. That's why we think there's canals on Mars. Yeah, that's right. Um, Joe, this has been absolutely fascinating. Um, thank you ever so much for, for spending some time chatting with me. I've really enjoyed this. So 
We just want to give listeners uh, the, the details again of where they can see this work for themselves. So it's nightscapades.com is the the shiny website that I've been looking at. That's so right. dot com. And then that's right. It's just like escapades at night. You know, they're my escapades where I'm driving around the country, but it's all at night. Plus, it's also nightscape photography. I'm a huge fan of, of um, what's that one you take two words? The portmanteau. You know, right? Second two words. Yes. So yeah. It works for me. And of, of the social medias, is there one of them you consider to be like your primary place where you engage the most? Yeah, that's uh, Instagram. that's Instagram. And I'm uh, nightscapades on Instagram. Brilliant. Well, mm-hmm. I will stick links in the show notes to both nightscapades.com and the Instagram then, since that's your, your primary yeah. one. And the, my success on Instagram absolutely killed my children because here's their father who's 30 plus years older than them. And one of them suggested <laughs> I get on Instagram and I'm sitting at about 22.9K followers at the moment. And my much younger children are like, old farts aren't meant to get that many followers. You no, know? we're supposed to be the hip and cool ones and you're supposed to be the, yeah, not cool. <laughs> How can you have more followers than me? This yeah. is right. Yeah, I love that's it. right. Okay, um, I've been your host, Bart Bouchard. Oh, I'm supposed to plug my own show before I finish up the show. I'm very bad at this <laughs> podcasting thing. How did I get to episode 97? Um, so as I've briefly mentioned, there will be show notes at lets-talk.ie. I will have links to Doug's websites there, so that'll be a nice, easy click. While you're there, there are also uh, big blue buttons in the sidebar under the heading called Support the Show. They allow you to support the show. Um Firstly, thank you to everyone who has and who does and who ever did support the show. This is a listener-supported show. There are no advertisers. There are no ads. This show exists for exactly one reason. It's because you guys support the show, and I greatly appreciate you all for it. There is a Patreon link if you'd like to pledge a small dollar amount per episode. There will be exactly two episodes a month, one Apple, one photography. There is a PayPal button, which is uh, very good for one-off donations, which I use for things like, you know, boom arms for my microphones and new software and... um if the rumours are to be believed, I'm hoping a new iMac in January or February with one of those M1 cores in it. That that would be shiny. Um, sorry, an M1 Pro core. Um, and of course, you can support the show simply by sharing sharing it with your friends, right? Telling friends and family is a fantastic way to support the show because the more people who listen, the more people who know about it, the more people who will contribute, you know? So it, it all really, really helps. Anyway, let's just talk .ie. I've been your host, Bart Bouchot, so you can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy snapping. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, this is Dave Ginsberg. I'm the host of In Touch with iOS, a podcast that talks about iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and anything related to those technologies. Um, with my along with my co-host Warren Sklar, um, we get in depth with a lot of great things that relates to iOS and and its technologies. I'd love to give you to give it a listen. Uh, you can find us at intouchwithios.com, or we are in Apple Podcasts or any. Uh, podcatcher will be able to find us um, but uh, give us a listen we'd love to have you listening to uh, those great technologies and relating to ios thanks